Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. I'm Gary Williams. This week, Jay Billis, yes, the Billistrator, the guy who's got an opinion on everything in the game of basketball, most of them very well founded. How about him in the game of golf, his perspective? Well, not only is Jay going to be a guest today, Jay is going to be a contributor to five clubs going forward in 2022. And for those folks unfamiliar with his path in the game of golf, he may be modest in terms of when he started playing, but his passion uh, is unbridled. He loves the game, he loves consuming the game, and he loves playing the game and loves working on his own game. So we're going to talk to him about a number of things, but look forward to Jay being a part of five clubs in 2022. With that, we welcome in the lead analyst for college basketball on ESPN. That is Jay Billis. Jay, how you doing, buddy? Great, Gary. How are you? I'm doing very well. You know, I, I mentioned how you're going to uh, be contributing to five clubs in the new year, and we're looking forward to getting your perspective. But I, I want to go back. For those folks who are unfamiliar with your affinity for the game of golf, you and I started playing golf together 20 years ago. Um, and I, I noticed there was more than a mild curiosity on your part about, about playing in the game, but it's, it's grown exponentially in every area, watching golf, uh, golf, golf course architecture, uh, just your, your love for being on a golf course. What have you learned about yourself in playing golf? That's a great question, Gary. I, I, I wish I had played when I was a kid. I think I would be better at everything uh, that I do if I had played golf as a kid. And, you know, you know this story from our time as friends, but, you know, my brother, I have a, a brother who's seven years older named Dave, who was a great uh, golfer, still is, but w was a great junior golfer, played in college, all that. And uh, and when when my dad joined a club so my brother could play, and when I started, he, he wanted me to play, my dad wanted me to play too, and I hated it. I hated his country club because every time I turned around, somebody was saying, be quiet. You can't walk there. Don't do this. Don't, you know, there, there were so many rules and I was just a young kid. I didn't get it. So I, I said, I'm, I've had enough of this. And, and back then, you know, in order for, for us to play, we used to have to shag range balls just to be able to play. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. And uh, so I played basketball and baseball and ran around doing that. And I kind of turned away from golf, even though my dad and my brother, that was their passion. And I didn't really start playing until I was in my mid to late twenties with, with some of my friends when it was, you know, off season for basketball. And I got, I got hooked on it and really got hooked on it when you and I started playing and, and I joined a club and all that. And, uh, and now uh, I can't, I can't get enough of it. And I think, I think, you know, look, I'm partial to basketball is the greatest game ever invented, but outside of that, it's, to me, it's golf. What, um, what do you get now out of the game that, that maybe you didn't understand or, or know enough or be paying attention to enough 20 years ago? What, what is the most redeemable thing for you about playing golf? Well, it's something that I work on now that I didn't work on before. Before it was just an avocation that, uh, that I thought being, you know, when I was playing, when I first started playing, I was playing professional basketball overseas. And I, and I kind of thought, well, I can figure this out. I don't need uh, help. I don't need to see my PGA Tour Pro 
uh, or, or PGA uh, golf professional at the club or anything like that. You went in when you were really playing poorly. You went in for a tune-up or something, thinking that was good enough. And now, I mean, I take I just about take a lesson a week uh, uh, and and really work on it um, because I, I know there's so much that I don't know about golf, and uh, and I've learned a lot over the last last year and a half since I've been doing that. But I, there's no other endeavor, Gary, that I've been a part of, and I don't know how you feel about this, but there's nothing I've ever done where failure has been such a part of it and you have to move on from it right away. And if you allow it to linger with you, uh, it, 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 you admire yourself in it. And, uh, and I, think, I think in playing golf, one, it, the camaraderie of it, uh, look, I don't, I don't gamble. I don't stay out late at night. I don't do all that stuff anymore. So I, it, for me, it's, it's stuff I do with my friends and it's, I, I walk every round it's communal. We take golf trips together. It's something you do with your friends. Uh, and it's a, it's a, so it's, it's great for friendships and then it's, it's great for competition, not just against other people, but, but the competition you have with yourself. And, you know, I tell, I tell this to, to, people all the time when we talk about the difference in sports that you know when I played basketball I had an opponent uh someone actively trying to stop me from doing what I wanted to do when when I play golf I may be competing against somebody but I don't have an opponent there's nobody trying to stop me from executing what I'm trying to execute so the truth is if I have an opponent out of the golf course it's me and, uh, and that's a different feeling. And, uh, and so getting out of your own way and moving on to the next shot and leaving what happened behind you is, uh, is, has been the biggest challenge for me. That, that's, been, that's been difficult. You know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the opponent being you because I, I, I've had a, several conversations with John Smoltz, and he was talking about the differentiation between being out on a golf course and, and literally being in a competition. And you played in some competitions where you can't walk off, or you could, but you would never do that. You've gone to Tahoe several times. But he was saying that, you know, when he played in the U.S. Senior Open and he, and he qualified to get in there in Colorado, and he said that he, he the challenge for him was when he pitched, if he had nothing, Bobby Cox always knew his body language was saying to him, look, I got nothing. Get me out of here. And he could get him out of here, and he would be disappointed if he only pitched two and a third. When you get on the fourth hole and you got nothing, the opponent is you. And you find out about yourself uh, and, and what you're made of. Do you notice that? Because you play with a lot of elite athletes who play golf and like it, and they're competitive about it. Can you tell their competitiveness playing golf as you did when you saw them doing other things, in particular someone like Ray Allen when he was playing basketball? Yes. Oh, absolutely. But but it, it, it's it's a question of how far you take it, because, um, you know, just because you're a you may be a single digit handicap or something, it doesn't mean you're a good golfer uh, when you start really talking about guys that can really play. I remember one time you and I were playing at a club and we were playing with a I won't mention his name, but we were playing with a, a great amateur golfer. And you had mentioned about a professional athlete saying, saying, you know, he can play. And the guy asked you because you were two real golfers. He said, now, can he play or can he really play? What, what do you mean? Can he really play? <laughs> um, so there's a difference between guys who play golf and, and, and play halfway decent and guys who can really play. And I don't count myself among those. Um, but when you, when you get on the golf course with some of these former pro athletes, um, some of them uh, keep it in perspective and some of them don't. 
And, and that's really the key is when you're playing poorly, can you still, you know, behave the right way? Uh, it, it's one thing not to be happy with how you're playing and all that. I will tell you this though, Gary, like in, at least in basketball, and I would imagine it's true in baseball, when things aren't going your way, you can adjust. And it's a lot harder to adjust. Like, you know, in, in basketball, if you're not knocking down your perimeter shot, you can drive to the basket, you can score in other ways. In, in golf, if you're not hitting your tee ball well, you still got to hit that damn tee shot. And, you know, you, you can't move up and, and hit something different. Mm -hmm. You still got to hit it. And, uh, and so it's a, for, for guys who, for people who are not, you know, pro caliber golfers, the, the mental part of it to me is the biggest hurdle. Like, how do you get over that and leave? I, I, I've told you this story before, like my brother, who, who's a great golfer, I've never seen him get mad on a golf course mm -hmm. and he hits bad shots every once in a while. And I remember he blasted one out of bounds and kind of shrugged his shoulders and reteed it and, and hit another one. And, and you would have thought he, he just hit the first one 320 yards down the middle. And I said, God, I would have been really pissed if I had done that. And he goes, well, the difference between you and me is I know I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> and and I, I thought, that's true. Like, I would be worried I was going to do it again and, and so upset that I, I made that mistake. And this could signal that this mistake is going to keep coming instead of just let the damn thing go. You're going to hit a bad shot. Move on. And, uh, and that, that to me, I, I keep repeating myself, but that, that sort of, it's coach K my old basketball coach is coach K and he used to say next play all the time, Yeah, you know, move on to the next play, like quit dwelling on stuff and, uh, and it positive or negative, but that's a lot harder for me on a golf course because you have, you have way more time to think in golf and Curtis strange mentioned this to me one time when I was, he was helping me with a book that I wrote. And, and he said, and he asked me, how much time do you think if you play a round of golf and you're going to shoot even par, how much time do you think it actually takes to set up to the ball and put club to ball, you know, striking it, tee shot, fairway, putt, you name it. And I said, I, I, I don't know. And I took a wild guess and said 10 minutes. And he says, it's less than five minutes. And he says, so if you're going to play a four or five hour round of golf, and it actually takes five minutes to hit the ball 72 times. That's a lot of time you have to screw yourself up if you allow it. And, and I, I, I thought about that a lot, that it's kind of the time in between shots that you have to, you know, let it go. And then when you, you know, you're in the action, be concentrated on the action and then let it go. It's, it's, it's hard to do for me. Uh, you played with Annika Sornstam this past summer and, and she was, she was in the process of not only was she trying to win the event that you 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 played a practice round with her in, uh, which was out in Tahoe at the American Century, which is a, a wonderful event, and all the best guys who, who and women who can play, uh, who don't play golf for a living, but she did, and she was actually I thought pre prepping herself for the U.S. Senior Women's Open, which she dusted the field in Connecticut uh, later on in the summertime, just a few weeks after that. What was your lasting impression? of spending an afternoon with her? One, just a wonderful person. She was exceedingly nice to everyone with whom she played and was very understanding. Like she would look, she was by far the best golfer in that field. It wasn't, a, it wasn't close. And, uh, and I, I really believe had she wanted to win that tournament, if she prepared to win it, she would have won it in a walk. That, that's how, how great she is. But uh, the, the thing, Gary, from a golf standpoint that got me was 
um, her swing is the same all the time. Like she is not stepping up to a shot saying, well, I really have to step on this club or she doesn't change. And, and she's not, she was not worried about hitting a par five and two, like some of us idiots are, she was going to make the best score on the whole. And, uh, and I, I remember we were playing uh, number 16 at, at par five at, uh, at Edgewood in Tahoe. And it was, uh, Annika was hitting her third shot in. She had hit a, a beautiful drive, laid up and just had a, a short little wedge in. And, uh, and Vinny Del Negro and I were standing by the side of the green and he looks at me and says, think she hits the green? I mean, everything she did was, was near perfect and flawless, but she didn't exert her, it didn't look like she was exerting herself by you know, trying to hit the ball a certain distance uh, she played most everything to the middle of the green and, and then, uh, on certain holes would go after a, a flag. She was very strategic. I mean, it was, it was surgical. Um, but it was so much fun watching her play. I really enjoyed the opportunity to watch a, a craftsman, a master craftsman, uh, ply the trade. It was, it was really awesome. Yeah, she is. I think along with, with Nicholas, uh, Hogan, in terms of tacticians, she is among the great tacticians the game has ever known in terms of uh, understanding her strengths, playing to her strengths. Uh, and she was analytical before analytics uh, really were, were becoming a, a really important factor uh, in the way elite golfers were playing. Now, speaking of elite, now you required us to mention your two wins over the summer. It was the summer of Jay. Um, <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, but I'm serious in this respect because you, you play in a club event and you won two events uh, with partners, but it is, I mean, you know, look, you, you, they're fun, but then you get in a position to win. Were you nervous? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm always nervous when I play in an event. Uh, I've never been more nervous than when I played in Tahoe uh, <laughs> at Edgewood because uh, you're always worried about, like, one – killing a spectator, uh, but, but, you know, worried about, you know, hitting a crappy tee shot or knocking one out of bounds or something like that, even though you shouldn't be worried about that because the expectations of you as a golfer are not that high. People know you're not a pro, um, but, but that, that's the most nerve wracking. Uh, but yeah, I'm nervous every event that, that I play in. And, you know, for me, uh, and you know this for, because we're such good friends, but I mean, I, I had a period three years ago where I thought, I, I don't think I can play golf anymore because my back felt so screwed up. And honestly, the pandemic kind of saved me in a way because I, I worked on, you know, I, I rehabbed my back and got it to where it feels great now. And, uh, and I, I surrendered to kind of, I got to start over. And I started over with a guy named Jack Fields, my, my PGA pro at, at Charlotte Country Club and just kind of redid everything and started from scratch. And I got to where I could play better. And, and man, it's much more enjoyable when you feel like you know what you're doing and you can sell. And I, I kicked myself a little bit that I didn't do this a long time ago. Um, Cause you know, I, my, my philosophy was, or my rationalization was what's the difference? Like uh, you know, I can pay a caddy to watch me play a lousy round round of golf or I go see my pro and get better. And, and I did that and it has been, it's made the game way more enjoyable. Uh, I, I feel like I know how to practice now. Um, and, and I love it and I'm not going to stop doing it. To me, it's like going to the dentist. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I, I you might think you don't like it, but you, you feel a hell of a lot better after you're done and, uh, and you've improved things. 
So uh, I'm, I'm really happy with it. Well, the Golf Digest was a couple months ago. It came out, and they do this annually, and it's, it's wildly subjective in terms of the top 50 instructors. And Jack's name, and I've got his name written down here, w- was not on the list, which you winning two events uh, should vault <laughs> him immediately into the top 10. I, I told him that. I actually told him that there, the, the volume of people that are coming to him for help after seeing me improve um uh he he probably owes me like i i i think they uh, uh i put uh we have a new practice facility at charlotte and i think i paid for it through jack and and <laughs> i i certainly put a wing on his home and maybe even a new car in his driveway but it's been worth every penny you know you watch you watch a fair amount of golf as well i mean this is not something about just playing and not consuming it you do consume the professional game and in analyzing golf as opposed to the job you do in analyzing basketball, you, you mentioned about, look, you, you know your opponent, uh, you study the opponent. The opponent for golfers is, is the golf course, but in large measure it's themselves and in, in, in playing percentage, playing to their strengths. When you watch golf and listen to the analysis of golf, um, what do you make of the analysis of, of the way people analyze golfers? Well, I love it because I'm immer- you know I'm immersed in it now. It's it's a sport that that as you say I consume daily. I mean, there's not a day goes by that that I don't spend a fair amount of time on golf, whether it's looking at Instagram videos of of teachers or things like that. It's every day for me as I know it is for you. It's not, you know, it's not as big of a deal to me as basketball because that's my that's my main gig. But when I when I hear sort of um commentators on events or in the studio uh, I like the fact that it's analytical they talk about you know what the player's trying to do and all these different things and and you know it may be a little inside baseball for the average Joe but the average Joe isn't watching golf and and so I I think the best commentators kind of keep it fun and they're honest and they show their own personalities um, so I'm a I'm a huge fan of of the the coverage that I see uh, I really, I really enjoy it. Um, I, I don't think I would do anything any differently aside from I'd, I'd give uh, like I'd, if I were a, if I were in charge of the PGA tour, I would, I would think long and hard about requiring these players to wear microphones more often and to do more interviews during the course of play. You know, if a, if a, if a college, if a college coach or an NBA coach can do an interview at a timeout, uh, I don't see why a player couldn't do an interview after a hole. Um, I, I, I think it would I think it would be great and it would make the game uh, better for for fans, which ultimately I don't want anything to get in the way of the competition. But ultimately, uh, the players should should be self-interested in making it more interesting for fans. Yeah, you know, they've they, they've experimented with that and they've they've found that most of the top players will shy away from it. The European tour does it. Uh, and I think that they've done it in a very effective way. The Corn Ferry Tour uh, has done it. M- my experience in watching guys who, who get mic'd up uh, is that they are reticent to say anything. Um, that, that, and I think it takes them out of their normal practices. But I think if you can get people who, who really are receptive to doing it, 
you can really turn people on to 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 the outward uh, you know machinations of what somebody is is thinking about. Uh, and particularly, there are enough guys who who do not need to stay in that little tiny bubble. I mean, you're never going to get Tiger to do it. Um, you know, I think Phil would be an interesting study. The reason I ask you that question is because. You know, someone like Brandel Chambly, who, who's criticized for his criticism because it's so, it seems so out of place because golf, you don't hear a lot of really abject criticism of players, but he is willing to take on all these issues. What are your thoughts about him? I think Brandel is a, uh, is a superstar and is what we should all aspire to be, and that is honest and straightforward and saying what you think and saying what you think in the moment, whether it's popular or not. And I, I understand because I, you know, I face some of the same thing, you know, same issues yeah. in basketball that, that some coaches or players don't care to be criticized or care to hear it. They think that, wait a minute, you guys are media partners. You know, you're supposed to promote this. And when, you know, when you really get down to it, Gary, and I know you know this better than anybody, but whether it's Brandel Chambly or Tony Romo or uh, Johnny Miller, you, you name it, the overwhelming majority of what any commentator says is positive and promotional of the game uh, and the, the players and, and all that. Um, but when, but there are times when you have to take a stand and you have to say something that may be unpopular. Brandel's willing to do that. And he's also, he also backs it up. Yeah. And look, people, if people want to differ, that's fine. And when the players shoot back, hey, that's, that's fine too. You're allowed to do that. Um, I, I don't particularly care for like this hurt feelings nonsense. That, the, the thing that I don't like is when people say, well, you shouldn't say that. You know, I, I, I no. We should all say what we think. And, and look, it has to be reasonable and right and all that stuff. But, but, you know, when Johnny Miller would say a player choked, uh, the players didn't care for that. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I recall. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and if, but, but to me, like the players say that privately, they understand the term. It's like, you know, but it's kind of like in baseball, you know, you can't talk about a no hitter while it's going on. And in golf, don't say shank near the, near the tee. Uh, you know, <laughs> you can't say shank um, and, and you can't say choke. Uh, of course you can. And Johnny Miller was was really popular as a commentator for a reason. You know, he connected with people and people understood it and they liked it. And, you know, the play like with all respect, the players are not the commentator's obligation. You know, we're, we're there to serve the fan. And uh, and it doesn't mean you you're dismissive of the player. Um, because that would be completely wrong. But but I, I think I think when you look at when you really look at the volume of commentary, the overwhelming majority of it is is not only positive, but it's promotional. And and the stuff that angers people or angers the players is really a, a very small amount of what is said. No, it's no, I'm with you. I, and I think that, you know, the thing is, whether it's feelings or opinions, they're not facts. They're just that they're a feeling or they're an opinion. Uh, and, and the line that you've used uh, for years about, about debate or disagreement is that reasonable minds can differ. Um, and whether it be on judgment, uh, whether it be on execution, um, and I, I think what he does and how he does it, like you said, he backs it up 
with not only quantitative data, uh, but also context as well. I mean, he's, he's as well prepared uh, as you are when it comes to, you know, doing whatever assignment he's got. I want to ask you about social media as it, as it applies to performance uh, and, and whether we want to make it specific about golf. We don't have to. I, I think it affects performance. I think it's, uh, I think it's a, a metric that is hard to, to judge how much, but I do think social media and the performance of athletes uh, is they, they run neck and neck in the sense that we know what people are saying, whereas before, when you were playing basketball, you could wake up the next day and read the, the Raleigh News and Observer and find out what, you know, their thoughts from a, from a columnist or uh, somebody writing a game story. Now it's instantaneous. You miss a shot, you miss a free throw, you go to the bench, you may be consumed by what is being said about you in real time. Would you recommend athletes of a young age, and you've schooled some athletes about the use of social media, to use it and to be active in it? I would, I, I would counsel them that using it is absolutely okay. I mean, it, it's really a part of their lives, but, uh, but I, would, I would be very careful about consuming uh, things from people that you don't know. In other words, on Twitter, your mentions or all these likes and comments on Instagram, uh, other, you know, TikTok, all these other things that, that, that are out there. Uh, what, what, what I would say, Gary, is that, that, look, I realize how lucky that I am and you are that we were brought up before social media. Mm -hmm. Because it's one thing to look at it now with, with our experience to be, be able to, to, to see it and handle it. When, when you're brought up with that, uh, as a as a young child, and and it's been part of your life. I think it's really incredibly difficult to the point of being life changing for for a lot of lot of young people, maybe the majority of young people. But the way I approach, um, you know, like you're talking about Brandel or me or whatever, the way I have always approached criticism from the time I became an adult was I, I listen to criticism. So I, I don't I have no problem going on social media and, and looking at critical things about me. Um, and what I do is I ask myself two questions. Is it right? And is it reasonable? If the criticism is right, I deal with it and I address it. If the criticism is reasonable, even if I don't, may not think it's right, if it's reasonable, um, I consider it. If it's unreasonable, I dismiss it right away to the point of muting someone who says something crazy unreasonable or, or on a very rare occasion, you might block somebody that, that gets nut, nuts on you. Um, that's the way I handle it. Because you know, to me, if, if I'm willing to dish it out, I'd better be willing to take it. Um, and that, that's sort of the way I've always, like, and the other part of it, Gary, is like, like I'm willing, I'm very good about accepting a compliment. Like I never ask about anybody's credentials when they compliment me. Like I'm not going, wait a minute, are you qualified? Did you play? Are you qualified to compliment me? Or were you in broadcasting? You know, I don't ask that. But boy, people are quick to, to ask your credentials when you criticize them. So if I'm willing to accept praise, I'd better be willing to accept criticism exactly the same way. But I, I, I ask those two questions with regard to everything. But I never look at it. I never look at it during a game. And I would never look at it after a game because uh, I'll, I'll look at it a little bit after because, you know, I mean, some of it is is you always get the bias stuff. 
So 50% of the, the, the complaints you get are you were biased toward one team and then 50% think you're biased toward the other. And you're going, okay, well, uh, I was probably right down the middle if that's the way people feel. But the other part of that is I always, I always ask people when they say, hey, you know, you, you like this team more than another, you know, you're biased. And I said, uh, uh, now, but you, you, you're not fair, but you're not biased. So it's my mouth, not your ears. <laughs> like you had an interest in the game. So you're, it's not, you're not biased the way you listen to it. Um, so you always have to factor that in, but for young people, especially, and I, I, you know, if I were playing, if I were in in a golf tournament, the last thing I would do would be to look at social media while I was competing. And that, that goes for the whole, you know, four or five day period while you're there, uh, that, that can do nothing, but, uh, but be distracting and hurtful. You can look at it later. It'll still be there. Uh, You don't need to, you don't need to do it in the moment. No, it's, uh, I've had several tour players through the years, who after a round, they will have heard something in particular, whether it's Brandel or anybody else. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing? You got, you got two more rounds to play, uh, which brings me to, to, to this question, because I've had this conversation with several you know, former and, and current really good players uh, in different sports at the highest level. And one of the things that they find fascinating about golf is that the competition is four days. And, and it's not like when you, if Steph goes five for seven from three in the first quarter and you say, now, we want you to go home. We want you to sleep. Think about it. And before you leave the arena, you're going to talk to the media and they're going to want to project what you think you're going to do in the second quarter before you even play it. And golf is that way, which I think is one of the most underrated, challenging aspects of the game at the elite level, that you have to sleep on your performance for three nights. What are your thoughts about that for, for players who try to remain in a bubble, have friends, have family, not to mention media, who are trying to get them to write a narrative before it's even been been performed? Yeah, that's interesting. Like all, all sports are are difficult. You know, you're not gonna you're yeah. not gonna win in any sport without without uh, having everything go your way and without being a professional about it and handling it the right way. The thing that's always fascinated me about golf is, you know, you, you go into a golf tournament, you have to beat everybody. And, and it's not like, uh, like the NBA or, um, or the NFL or tennis yeah. or major, you know, major league baseball, like those are all tournament sports. And when I say tournament, it, it, it's sort of, you know, you play an opponent then move on to the next round and the next round, all that stuff, that kind of tournament golf you know, you got to beat everybody. And, and it's not, it's not like the world golf, uh, what, what do they call the world golf championship yes. where, where it's match play. Right. Um, you know, you're, you're playing, man, it, it is, you got to beat everybody in the field and you got to do it every week. That is, I think that is so much harder than, uh, it, it, you know, conceptually than anything else in sports. So on one level, you could argue, you know, you can make the argument that, that in a way golf is easier because, you know, nobody, nobody's trying to tackle Tiger Woods when he's making a swing or nobody's jumping in his way to, to guard him. Uh, you know, you don't have an opponent in that regard, but man, you got to beat everybody. And you, to me, I, I, I don't, I just never, I've never encountered a sport where that I felt is as difficult as golf is. Um, I understand like, you know, it's not as physically demanding as some other sports. I get that. But the ball doesn't move, and uh, and you gotta, you know, conditions always change. Uh, I remember one time uh, I was playing with Jack Marin, 
who was a great basketball player played at Duke in the 1960s. Yeah, yeah. he's a fa- he's like a uh, he's a great athlete in that you know in the old school way of athlete that you could do a lot of things. I'm not sure he you know he'd win the high jump or the hundred yard dash or anything like that, but he can play every sport. And an outstanding golfer, left-handed guy, and so he made like a five-foot putt when we were playing. And and one of our playing partners says, "Hey, just like a free throw, Jack." And he stood up and he said, "This is so much hard. That was so much harder than making a free throw. I can't even begin to tell you." And he and he actually did begin to tell him. And he said, <laughs> "In a free throw, it's always the same distance. It's always the same conditions. There's no wind. There, there, you know, there's nothing about the terrain. All that stuff." And uh, and he he uh, he went through the whole thing and said that five foot putt was 10 times more difficult than any free throw I've ever shot. And I really started thinking about it. I thought, well, that was a long time to explain that. But um, <laughs> he was right. And you start thinking about how, yeah. how difficult it is, like every shot is different. And all. look, you don't have an opponent. And that's one thing I, I tell people all the time, not just in golf. But I tell my friends in coaching that, like, quit acting like what you do in coaching is harder than what the players do. You don't have an opponent. And I've never seen a coach, like, not be able to finish a game because they're exhausted. Like, stop it. The players want to win. They've got a damn opponent out there. What they do is hard. I'm not saying don't push them, don't be demanding, but don't act like you want to win more than they do Um, because that's not true. Uh, And and golf, to me, like, I will will always regret not – um, like not playing when I was a kid and mm. I don't beat myself up over it, but, but I wish I had played. I, I just, I think my concentration level in everything I did would be better. Um, I think I'd be able to handle things better. Um, it, 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 I think it's, it's a great game for a kid to play. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's attractive to kids because, you know, um, uh, maybe because of some of the stuff we talked about before, it's not as attractive. But uh, I tried to get my son to play golf more by saying his mom wanted to take piano lessons. I, I talked to her. I said, look, if you'd rather go take a golf lesson, you can do that. And uh, and he, he was like thinking, all right, the piano lesson comes to the house. Uh, so he, he he stuck with that. I was kind of disappointed, but but he'll he's starting to play now and he'll be just like me. Like it's a genetic thing. He'll be just like me. He'll regret it just as much as I do. Uh, before I let you go, I mentioned at the top you're gonna uh, you're being gracious enough with your time uh, to contribute to five clubs uh, starting in the new year. Uh, what what do you want to bring as far as your perspective and the people that you have joined you uh, in having a conversation about a game you love? Well, to the extent it's my perspective and not the guests, it's going to be the perspective of somebody that that is like the average golfer that I play because I love it. Not I'm not trying to, you know, make the mid am or do this or do that. I'm just trying to enjoy, enjoy myself. And and I, I can't get enough of golf. I just I love everything about it and uh, and hopefully bring in people like you and me that uh, have that same passion for the game that we can talk about golf and, and the things around golf and some of the funny stories. I mean, I, I would love to bring on some of my friends that are caddies because I, one, I want to know all the things that I'm not supposed to do that, that anger them. <laughs> but I, I can't, I can't imagine that there's anybody involved in golf that has more great stories than caddies do. And uh, if I get, maybe, maybe they, we can put like uh, ski masks on them and, uh, and uh, get their voices uh, 
modulated so we, they, we don't identify them and and gets there darken the, the thing to get some great stories because man when i get a caddy telling letting loose and telling me stories i can hardly swing i'm laughing so hard and and i'm hoping that the stories aren't about me because they could be well i guarantee you there won't be any bags they're unfiltered they're proud uh and they are righteous and they don't care uh which is why they're so great at what they do listen happy holidays Happy birthday is your birthday falls on the eve of Christmas. Uh, and thanks. And we're looking forward to, to your voice being a part of five clubs going forward. Thanks so much, buddy. Me too, Gary. Thank you, buddy. Great to be with you. Well, we thank Jay Billis. That was just 30 minutes of Jay. Where you are going to get much more than 30 minutes in 2022? He's going to be joining us on a regular basis here on five clubs. His guests, yeah, there are going to be a lot of people you're familiar with, but even he said he'd like to bring on a couple caddies. Now, I'd love to hear from a couple people who've had to carry his bag. He is insufferable. He also cares about one golfer, himself. So Jay Billis on five clubs going forward, but we appreciate his time, his perspective on golf and many other things. And folks, have a great holiday season. We're looking forward to the next conversation right here on Five Clubs.